Well, a happy Tuesday night, everybody, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey. It's Alex Ferrario. It is Joe Vitale back to the duo of This Week in Hockey. And Joe Curbs taking a couple of days off, resting those pipes before he gets back in action on Thursday against the Vegas Golden Knights. But you and I, we just need the reps, right? Just more and more time on the air. You know, we just need the reps. Absolutely right. We need to be um, just more well-versed and and just hear our voices, I guess, a little bit more. Well, but there's nothing wrong with that when we get to hear our voices a little bit it's more. It's going to be all right. I know we're hoping Curb's going to be all right. He's yeah. got a little – he's dealing with a little something, nothing major. But uh, we're going to miss my old partner. But, Al, you and me, old school, we're going to we're gonna take down the house Back right now. at it again, baby. Two hours of hockey talk and two hours of hockey talk that actually includes hockey talk. We've, oh, hi- we've had hockey boy. to watch with – and, Joe, I think that's where i got to start. It has been just a breath of fresh air to sit at home – and not just watch a hockey game, but watch a hockey game from the afternoon yeah. to the evening, back to back to back. And I mean, this is this is that normal feeling that we have just been craving for so long. Uh, not even normal feeling, I don't think, Alex. I think it's better than normal. I mean, yeah. to turn on a game at 11 o'clock in the morning and then literally have jump between the NHL station and NBC Sports, NBC, and back to whatever. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I'm absolutely loving it. I think everyone was craving for this. And not just having games from 11 to midnight, but meaningful games. Yeah. I mean, these are some meaningful games. And we're already looking at one series with Carolina and New York. They're one game away from elimination. I mean, it's amazing how a lot of these games are – it's 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 picking up. And a lot of these teams are really starting to pick up the pace too. And you're starting to feel the raw emotion, which I didn't think was possible without fans in the building and all these different things. But we're seeing fights. We're seeing hits. We're seeing amazing, like, highlight reel goals. I mean, Connor McDavid's the other night. Holy smokes, we got to talk about that later. But it's been uh, it's been awesome. It's been awesome for the fans. It's been awesome for the players. I think the one side effect is these players are going through a lot, which we've already talked about a bunch. But aside from that, this is a great thing for hockey, and it's a great thing for sports. Well, that's the part that surprised the hell out of me so far, Joe, is, is how intense these games have began. Now, look, I, I was one of those people thinking – tune-up games these are just going to be like mm-hmm. pond hockey you're not going to see much out there it's just going to be skating around it's going to feel like the all-star game basically the tune-up games if you think about it we saw fights with tampa bay and florida going after it we saw big hits with edmonton zach cassian out there and i believe it was against the calgary flames that first game and we even saw the blackhawks and the blues putting up goals in some points so i mean you saw that style of hockey jump right in and then transition into the qualifying I mean, the aggressiveness, the intensity, all of that was there, it felt immediately. And I think it's because of the physicality that these teams are initiating, you know, with the drop of the puck. You know, I, I tell people this, I give them this analogy all the time to kind of, uh, I guess, humanize what, what I'm trying to talk about as far as how it applies to hockey players. But, you know, say you're sitting in traffic today. Say you're sitting in traffic right now, listening to me and Big Al on this on this show. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone just cuts you off. Okay, you're, you're sitting home, you're driving, you're, you're in traffic, your eyes are starting to get sleepy, it's been a long day at work, and all of a sudden, someone cuts you off and gives you the bird, and all of a sudden, you find this energy, right? Your heart starts pumping, and you're, you grip that steering wheel. And then you wheel. speed up, and you just try and rear-end them? Just, you're like a gorilla, like, get me out of this cage, I want to kill somebody, right? You find this energy, right? But this yeah. is my point. By the way, remind me to never cut off Joe Vitale in the street. Don't do that. <laughs> and I do it with my kids in the car, too. Do you really? I should probably stop doing it. You drop the F-bomb? I have. I, I have do you? it too much. Yeah, I do it too much. That's all right. That's an Italian thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's okay. I should stop, though. <laughs> anyway, so no, that energy comes from somewhere, right? And it's that nervous system. Boom. It's just in shock. You go from sleepy to like feeling like you just, I don't know, just the yeah. ultimate high. Well, I think that for hockey players, 
I think why these games are so intense is because we're seeing some physicality off the get-go. Where I think some teams were kind of, let's test the water here. Mm-hmm. What do we have? What don't we have? Are you going to hit? You're going to hit me, and then I'll hit you. But if you're <laughs> not going to hit me, I'm, you know, it's kind of that agreement, right? But all of a sudden, you're seeing like, you know, Matthew Chuck, bam, and then you're seeing Ryan Reed, bam, bam, and you're seeing these hits, and then you're seeing guys getting punched in the face, and all of a sudden. You're like, whoa, and it rises your game to the next level. Alex, I remember getting ready for some games in February, you know, at three games in five nights. You're exhausted. You've been traveling. It's cold. You're in Edmonton, whatever. You put the equipment on as much as you're trying to get up for that game. It's hard. Yeah. But then sometimes in that first shift, you'll get popped. I got popped by Zach Cassie. I'll never forget in the first shift of the game. He got me with a butt end right in the chin, but I found that zone. I found that line inside of me. But it took you getting popped in the face to get that. Well, that's what happened to these players. I mean, these players are getting popped in the nose and getting run in the corner, and goalers are getting run, and nets are getting blown off their hinges, and and teams are like, whoa, we better get going here. So I think we're seeing some really good hockey. Is that strategy from a hockey player perspective of if there's a guy in a hockey game that you know you don't want to be engaged right away, do you kind of stay clear of him and you're going to obviously defend him, but you're not going out there and trying to throw hits because you don't want him to hit that next level? Well, I will say one thing. I'm, not so much as in the physical side of it, but kind of your same point. A, a player that if I'm coaching against, I'm saying leave him alone, it'd be Pat Maroon. Yeah. Patty was a guy that uh, to find his groove, to find that zone, to find that flow, if you will, he would need to chirp guys. He would need to get under the skins. He needs some sort of verbal confrontation with his opponent, and that's when he found like another level, and mm-hmm. that's to what I'm talking about. So Patty knew – to find that another level, he's got to get in the mix here. He's, he needs to cut someone off on Highway 270 and right. flip on the bird because that's essentially what he needs to do to find the energy. Yep. So if I'm a coach, I'm like, listen, that number, stupid number seven, he's going to start running his mouth. Just leave him alone. Just ignore him because every time you respond, he just brings his game up to the next level. That was what Boston's mistake was when he yeah. skated by the bench and said, you guys are effed. That was, he got, that was good. He cut him off and got the bird and then got them to speed up and try and cut him off. That's, That's exactly what he wanted right. in this one. So from the game so far, and look, we've had a couple of qualifying games, a couple games going on right now as we're on the air. What team has stuck out to you the most? We'll talk about the Blues as we go along tonight. Uh, they play Vegas on Thursday night, which if you're wondering what time that game is, it's a 5.30 puck drop. The Blues announced earlier today, so a 4.30 pregame skate, which starts at on at 4.30 here on 101 ESPN. But I'm curious, Joe, out of the 24 teams, who has stuck out to you the most so far? You know, the one team in the East, I'll give you one in the West yeah, and one in the one, East, okay. and then I'd like to hear you, one East, yeah. one West. So my, my East team right now, Alex, is the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. They're two up 2-0 in a series right now against the Rangers. They they just they, they kind of look unbeatable at this moment. They have a great defensive structure. Slater leading the charge in the back end. Joel Edmondson contributing huge minutes, a former blue on the back end. They're getting exceptional goaltending right now, and they just have a group – of veteran-driven players like Jordan Stahl. Um, you know, you look at um, Martinez, you look at yeah. um, Martinook, excuse me, uh, Justin Williams, players that understand what Rod Brindamore is trying to do. They have a simple, structured way to play, and everyone's committed to that system. And I think when you have a team that way and they find the consistency and the confidence within, within that system, boy, geez, look out. They remind me a lot of the Blues. So that's my team in the East. The team in the West, which I will say, uh, I did not think I would say this, but I, I was worried about them. But now I'm really worried about them. Is you're you're gonna laugh maybe a little bit, but the Minnesota Wild. Really? They do because I remember we had Luke Cunning on our show about four weeks ago, and I was asking Luke Cunning. Luke Cunning, a former St. Louis. Uh, well, he's not former. He he is and always will be here from St. Louis. But um, <laughs> that won't go away, buddy. You're always gonna be born and raised here, but don't worry about that. Uh, we're not getting rid of you. Uh, born in St. Louis, played yeah. here. Obviously drafted first round. An incredible success story. Goes to Wisconsin and then he signs with the Minnesota Wild. So he's a young forward with the Minnesota Wild, and he had we had him on our show. 
and I asked him, I said, Luke, you know, do you feel this this tournament or this playoff situation? Do you feel like Minnesota is are you as a player? Are you like looking at these veterans on the team saying, man, these guys might have their last go at this thing? And he's like, absolutely. The young guys, we 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 don't verbalize it, but we all know it. Like we know that uh, you know Parisi or Ryan Suter mm-hmm. or, or Koivu. I mean, all these players that have been around. Stall, Stall, yeah, Eric Stall, another good one. These guys, this may be their last crack at it, and so the, you know they're get they're gonna give it all they got, and then the young guys are gonna back them up because. That core is so respected in Minnesota. They they love their leaders. They really just value who they are, and they're gonna they're gonna go to battle for them. Yeah. The only thing that I was worried about was was their goaltending mm-hmm. and Devin Dubnik. Well, here comes Alex Stalock, uh, the Minnesota boy who can play the puck probably better than Mike Smith. Short in stature, kind of reminds you of a Darren Pangis. I mean, shuts out the, the Canucks in Game One, yep. and he looks so solid. I'm telling you, something about Minnesota scares me. We'll see if I'm wrong. You're you? going to laugh. Minnesota was my team that I was going really? to pick as well. There Mostly, I watched that game one, and by the way, they play later on tonight. I think it's a 9:45 puck drop. I watched that game in between Vancouver and Minnesota, and the first thing I thought of, they look a lot like what the Blues looked like. Mm-hmm. They were throwing bodies around left and right. They were engaged from puck drop. I mean, you had Jordan Greenway and Matt Dumba laying body shots on Vancouver. But then on top of it, the offense was there. I mean, they were coming up with chance after chance. If Markstrom didn't pull out all of those saves, you're talking about a 6-7 goal outburst by Minnesota. They got a young coach that they brought in last offseason, which I think has breathed new life into that team. And then the goaltending aspect. Alex Stalock, a player that nobody really talks enough about, mm-hmm. is from St. Paul, Minnesota. He's playing for his hometown team. And then when you had the Matt Dumba aspect of him giving his speech before the games all got underway, there's a lot of elements right now that makes me right. nervous about Minnesota. Minnesota has looked really good. Columbus is my other team. Yep, they look good. They got two goaltenders that can make you pay no matter the night. I mean, I thought Elvis Merzlikis was going to be their number one guy mm-hmm. because he was great in the regular season. They threw Jonas Corp- Corposalo out for, for, for the first game, and he pitches a shutout against yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some big saves, too. Yes, and I mean, that's against a team that has Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner. Like, mm-hmm. that's an offensive powerhouse, and he goes out there and pitches a shutout. Columbus is healthy. Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, they got some healthy guys up front. Josh Anderson is back, like you mentioned, uh, I think, on our postgame show. Columbus is a dangerous team, so I, that was a team that popped out to me, and they've only played one game so far in the postseason. Yeah, and you know it's crazy because you're all looking at these teams now. What team's hot? What team has a? And you sometimes forget like we have a pool of teams over here yep. that are playing around robin that we haven't even really seen yet. Right. I mean, that's what's exciting about this thing. I didn't know how this round robin first round play in whatever you want to call it would look. Yeah, I think I think NHL's done a great job. I, I do think too. I think it's organized. I think it's concise. I love the way we're, we're watching hockey from 11 to midnight, and it's just you know the it just I think they've done a great job. I, yeah. I don't know how else to say it aside from I mean zero positive tests, Alex. Twice is, zero positive tests. It, you know they're doing a great job. I know the players aren't necessarily that happy. I think it's some dog days going on up there, but from a safety aspect, to keep this game going and, and the quality of hockey we're seeing. Again, yeah. I was always optimistic since March. I never thought it'd be like this. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, speaking of optimism, we're going to get a little pulse from somebody who's in Edmonton, Mike Kelly, who covers uh, the NHL games right now in the Western Conference. He's in the uh, hub city, Edmonton, covering the games. He's going to join us next to get a little update on the games in on the Western Conference side, what this bubble life is like in the NHL. 
and maybe get a little perspective on the St. Louis Blues. So we're coming back after this. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Two hours of hockey talk for you tonight. It's This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on This Week in Hockey on a Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Of course, the Blues off tonight before they get back in action Thursday, round robin game number two against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. But we're going to talk a little bit about the Edmonton bubble, talk about these Western Conference teams. And Mike Kelly, he's the boots on the ground in Edmonton covering the Western Conference bubble in the Rogers Arena for NHL Network. Does phenomenal work. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. Mike, how are you, sir? And more importantly, how's bubble life? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you. Um, it's uh, it's unique. It's, it's good, though. I'm uh, I'm not actually in the NHL bubble, um, you know, the, the same one that the players and, and all the team staff are in. Um, I am at the rink, though, so... Uh, it's been interesting. You know, you come to the rink, there's a designated spot to enter the building and you get your temperature checked and uh, face masks at all time and designated seating area kind of by yourself uh, for us. So, um, look, three games a day, three playoff games a day uh, in one building is a pretty awesome experience. Uh, it's been a great couple of days so far. So I'm curious with that, Mike. Obviously, you're not a part of the bubble, but you are still coming to the arena. So do you go through testing just as much as the players do because you have to be in the area, or are you kind of the uh, different from them? Different from them, yeah. So we, uh, we don't uh, go through testing every day. Like I said, just a, a temperature check uh, and a symptoms check, um, but, but not the actual testing. So we are... Um, you know, again, uh, isolated from anybody that would be in the bubble. So there's no uh, there's no risk at all of um, kind of intersecting that way. Uh, everybody that is uh, in the area that I'm in, other media members and uh, other staff here uh, are all separated from everyone who's actually in the bubble. Mike, give us some perspective on what these games are like to watch in person. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting at home and I'm seeing, you know, Matthew Kachuk fight Blake Wheeler. And I think of like the noise in the building, or that should be, but obviously it's not happening. You look at Connor McDavid's fabulous goal the other night, uh, where he went backhand under the bar. When things like that happen, when big goals are scored, when fights break out, is there just an, is it an awkward silence, or or is it is there mixed uh, noises in the building? Or how, how does it all appear to you? Yeah, it, it's weird. I mean, the, the McDavid goal—you'd expect the roof to blow off uh, <laughs> normally, and it's just kind of. You know, the benches, you, you know how, Joe, you know how it is when, the, you know, the, a big goal scored or a fight. The benches are going nuts, and, and the players love it, and, and that's all the same. But, um, I mean, man, yeah, I, I could I could have yelled down to Matthew Kachuk and said, hey, switch to your left, and you would have heard me. So, um, it's, uh, it's unique for sure. Um, it, as a spectator, you know, the, the really cool thing is that you can hear so much of what's going on the ice. Like, it, it's funny to hear – obviously what's going on on the bench, like, you know, Paul Maurice was giving it to uh, an official uh, yesterday and hearing that stuff's pretty funny. Hearing some of what the players are saying is pretty funny. Um, you still have all the music in the building though. So that's, that's kind of normal that way. Uh, but I found it really interesting to hear all the chatter on the ice as the play is happening. Like just how much these guys talk to each other during the play. It's just constant chatter. Uh, letting a guy know where you are, you know, wheel, wheel, wheel. We hear that one all the time. Anyways, uh, but, but really hearing kind of the specifics of, of what the players are, are talking about on the ice and how much they talk is pretty cool. So it's, look, as a, as a hockey fan, to come here and sit here in a quiet building and watch three playoff games a day, like, this would be the ultimate fan experience. You'd pay millions of dollars for an experience like that, I would think. So it's, it's different. Obviously, fans in the building is way more fun and exciting, but uh, I think the league's done a great job with the visuals, 
uh, of pulling this whole thing off, to be honest. Mike, you know, you bring up the conversations that are happening on the ice with players, and I think that you're not alone when you say that because I think people would be are now for sure certainly surprised by how often these players talk to each other. And, and that's one of the biggest challenges. I don't know if you have kids or you've been around youth hockey, but trying to get young kids to understand, you know, young kids will – bug mom and dad all day long nonstop. mom when's breakfast when we gotta leave mom where's my shoes but it never ends right and then they get on the hockey rink and for whatever reason they kind of go zip like nothing no one talks Mm -hmm. and i try to explain (laughs) these kids like listen to an nhl game these guys are having conversations so i'm really glad you said that because i'm gonna have these kids my kids especially listen to the game maybe turn the volume up a little bit but it is certainly kind of funny how about the dress code like you see some coaches are wearing suits some kids some coach are wearing the quarter zips players are showing up with like fishing style hats we see austin matthews has got a crazy style what's that all been like hey look i love it and you know what i think the players love it so you know it's uh we're living in the 21st century here and you see other sports where where guys can really show off that personality and um all it does is grow the game right uh you know at the end of the day the players are fully aware that that hockey related revenue is tied together and the more you grow the game uh, you know, the better the league does, uh, you know, the more there is for everybody. So I, I think the players, by and large, um, have enjoyed the fact that they can uh, be pretty unique with what they wear to the rink. And, and look, if a guy wants to wear a suit, nobody's stopping them from wearing a suit. Um, you're, you're not forcing uh, anything on anyone uh, that they're uncomfortable with. But, yeah, no, I, I like it. It's, it's been uh, interesting to see what the guys are wearing. And, um I mean, hey, call call Torts a trendsetter, I guess. He was wearing the sweaters on the bench uh, <laughs> already and, and going a little different. So I like the uh, the look of the coaches that are wearing, um, you know, kind of those team logo uh, zip-up uh, shirts. Um, but I, I think it's pretty cool. So it's uh, it, it's been, uh, just as a, as a hockey fan, as a viewer, it, it's been uh, a nice little wrinkle to the whole thing. Again, we're talking with Mike Kelly from NHL Network. He is in Edmonton watching these games, and he is also a part of the NHL Network's wall-to-wall coverage, covering all of these playoffs on NHL tonight. So, Mike, I'm curious uh, of the of the play on the ice in terms of the Western Conference. Who has stuck out to you watching these games over these last few nights? Because a lot of these Western Conference teams look real dominant, like we remember in the regular season. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um different teams for different reasons, I guess. You know, the, the team that I thought at the start of this whole thing that, that I like in the West, and, and there's really good teams to pick from, uh, defending cup champs, you know, we know what they do, obviously. Uh, Colorado, man, they're fast. They've got the best transition game in the league. They, they create so much, um, but they get back, and they don't, they don't allow it the other way. So um, if the goaltending holds up there, I think they're as dangerous as anybody. Um, but, but the team that I picked and that I kind of like the most is Vegas. And, uh, and St. Louis will see them on Thursday. Um, so I'm here yesterday watching them play Dallas. And, uh, you know, Vegas had a good first period, get out to a one nothing lead. Dallas dominated the second period, really tilted the ice. Um, but then you see that kind of hallmark of the Golden Knights game, which is just aggressive after pucks, uh, great sticks, defensive sticks, forcing turnovers, counterattacks. Um, and that kind of took over against a really good defensive team uh, in Dallas. So, um you know, that, that to me, I think it's what I thought before and, and not a huge sample yet, obviously, but I still think it's true is that Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, uh, I see as the top tier. Um, and then you start getting into teams below that. The, the Edmonton-Chicago series has been unbelievable. I mean, you know, defense optional. This series has been nuts. There's been 19 goals in two games. 
Uh, and we saw what Connor McDavid did uh, in game two. So, you know, I look at game one and I thought, you know, I know McDavid had the three points, but I thought Jonathan Taves really kind of showed him what playoff hockey's about in that game, uh, the details of the game, et cetera. And, man, McDavid just – an angry McDavid's a scary thing, I guess, <laughs> because uh, he came out like a house on fire last night. Mike, you are in Edmonton. You're showing up at the rink. You're around the hotels. You're seeing the way security is closing the streets down and reopening them back up. I mean, you're you're literally in it. How confident are you, based off of what you've seen, that the NHL will award a Stanley Cup in that building come sometime in October? Supremely confident. Um, it's been, uh, you know, I, again, I can't speak for the bubble itself not being in it, um, but the fact that there's been no positive tests is astounding. And, you know, I, I think that really speaks to how well the league has, has put this whole thing together um, you know, choosing Edmonton and Toronto as the hub cities uh, and all the steps that they took leading up to getting here. And, um, and you know, full credit to everyone who's in the bubble as well, the athletes, the coaches, the team staff, um, for what clearly looks like uh, taking this very seriously and, and respecting the rules. Um, and then, yeah, just for the everything around that that I am involved in, um, like I said, when you come to the rink, they check the temperature, you're uh, – you're sectioned off in an area. Um, everybody uh, in here from the staff at the arena to the other media members, very diligent about wearing their masks and, uh, you know, not shaking hands and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, hey, look, I'm a numbers guy. I'm going to throw a 97.8% on this cup being awarded. Oh, I like that. I think I got that in geometry <laughs> when I was in sophomore. I'm just kidding. I did not get that. <laughs> Hey, Mike Kelly, and again, we're talking with Mike Kelly from NHL Network. He's in Edmonton watching these games. Mike, you mentioned Vegas, and of course, that's the next opponent for the St. Louis Blues on Thursday night. Uh, Watching St. Louis, and I know you're a real analytics-driven analyst for NHL Network, but watching St. Louis in that game against Vegas and then kind of seeing the slow start out of the gate these last two games, uh, do you have any concerns about St. Louis going into that first round of the playoffs? Uh, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, uh, look, the championship pedigree is there. The, the way that that team plays is uh, what I believe to be a lot of the necessary tools to be successful in the postseason. Um, you look at the – I go back and, you know, during this pause and I'm watching what they did last year and, and how hard they were on the walls and the battles they would win. Um, just the things you have to do at this time of year, right, that you see year in, year out the championship teams doing. Uh, they haven't lost any of that. Um, you know, Jordan Bennington, fine. Uh, Jake Allen had a great year, so I, I think there's some confidence in that no matter what. Um, and, uh, you know, Vegas brings its own challenges on Thursday. Again, like I said, they're, they're a different team in terms of how they play uh, than the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Vegas created more scoring chances than any team in the NHL this season. They don't give up a lot. They've got Robin Leonard, who has been brilliant the last two years, no matter which team he's played for. Um, and then you got Flower, obviously, there also. So that, it's a big challenge. Um, and I think with, with St. Louis, where they might not run into as much trouble as other teams, um, is they, they're fine getting the puck to the red line, dumping it in, beating you on the walls, low to high cycle, uh, tire you out in the uh, defensive zone. Um, you know, teams like uh, Colorado, uh, Chicago, et cetera, that carry the puck through the middle of the ice more often to create offense. Uh, that's where Vegas can really force those neutral zone turnovers and 
uh, offensive blue line turnovers and, and make you pay. But, but like I said, St. Louis can, uh, they don't rely on that. They, they can be in different ways. So it's a contrasting styles to be uh, of two just really elite teams. I think it'll be a great game. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. Again, that's uh, Thursday when those two teams will uh, go head-to-head for round-robin game number two. He's Mike Kelly. Again, he's a hockey analyst for NHL Network, an analytical side of the hockey game, and he's covering the uh, games being played in Edmonton. And, of course, you can see Mike Kelly on NHL Network's wall-to-wall coverage on NHL tonight. Mike, can't thank you enough for taking some time out today and hopping on with us. Uh, We appreciate it. Stay healthy and have fun uh, throughout the rest of this postseason run in the NHL. Hey, thank you guys. Uh, same to you as well, and uh, hope you enjoy the playoffs. Like I said, it's been, it's been great having games all day long. Once again, that's Mike Kelly, NHL Network, with us. We'll take a break. We'll come back and get a little deeper into the St. Louis Blues after that game against the Avalanche, and one player has left the bubble. So we'll touch on that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario. Got a little Blues news for you to touch on. By now you've seen it, but the Blues announced earlier today that Ivan Barbashev has officially left the bubble. He and his wife are expecting the birth of their first child. Congratulations to them. But he is out of the bubble. He is gone now until he decides to come back. But when he comes back, Joe Vitale, he's got a corner quarantine himself in his hotel room for four days. He's got to get four consecutive negative tests before he can jump back into play. So without Ivan Barbashev, who for both of us, he stuck out to uh, us after that game on Sunday against Colorado. That's a big loss for the St. Louis Blues going into this next game. Listen, it's going to be a big loss. You know, I'm very fortunate that the Blues are going to lose him when they are. I mean, that's that's the good news right now, Alex. I understand he's got to leave. And, you know, you're going to miss him over the next probably two round-robin games. I cannot see him back before Sunday. I believe Sunday's the next game after yeah. Thursday. Thursday, Sunday, yep. So Thursday, Sunday. He, I, I do, he will not be back before Sunday. Let's just put it that way. Um, will he be back before the first game of the first round? I mean, that's, that's going to be a big question mark. But I've heard about this. I've known about this for a while. I've always heard that he was going to be leaving at the beginning of the first round, which would put him out for the majority of the first round. That's how I always interpreted it. Now, I don't know how pregnancy was progressing, or maybe that was just a uh, bad insight or bad rumor, or maybe the timing was a little off in the communication I was getting, but this is good news. It's tough news, but it's good news. I like when he's leaving. I like now. There's two Ron Robbins games left. We're probably looking at at least a week before our first real game in the first round that gives him time to get home uh but first and foremost you know make sure that him and his wife is a first baby i mean god first baby i'll never forget that that was that was an experience that was a while ago wasn't it god that was an experience less I mean, gray hair yeah you know in two three and four like, bloop, here we go there's another one like you know cut the old cord wonder if your wife thought it was blue you know but um it was amazing no no actually my wife uh get a little sidetracked here i was in uh norfolk virginia in the american hockey league we were in playoffs really? this is in april April 2011. This is the first child? First child. And I'm in playoffs, and I don't know if I ever told you the story, but uh, my wife calls me at 2 in the morning. I'm like, I'm like a nine-hour drive away. And it's the American League. We don't have private jets and ways to get home. <laughs> you got charter buses. That's it. And she goes, my water broke. I go, oh, man, no way. This is crazy. And, you know, whatever. So I'm up all night. And like, what do I do? What do I do? And she's like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's going quick. I'll let you know. She goes to the hospital. She drives herself to the hospital. This is, she's by herself in Wilkes-Barre. No family, no close friends. This is great advice for me from when my I first mean, child comes. <laughs> they, they, they say hockey players are tough. I mean, pregnant women are tough. Hockey wives are even better. I'm telling you right now. She hops in a car. She drives herself to the hospital. And they check her or whatever. She's at like three centimeters, but she's moving quick. So I'm thinking like, well, I'm going to miss it. Doggone it. You know what yeah. I mean? 
So I wait till 8 or 9 o'clock. I go to the rink, and still she's progressing, but not quite there yet. And I'm kind of hanging around. I tell Coach Hines, now the head coach of the Nashville Predators, I go, hey, this is what's kind of going on. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I think she's already at six centimeters. Uh, Alex, I don't know if you know this, but once they get to 10, it's ready to have a baby. I didn't, but that's good to know there also. Go. Uh, so I'm like, wow, geez, that's, I'm probably going to miss it. So he goes, well, you can do whatever you want to do, but you know, it's your choice. I'm leaving up to you. I'm like, you know, I'm eight hours away. She's already at six. I don't think I'm going to make it either way. I might as well play a game You don't tonight. think you can drive fast enough to beat four centimeters? <laughs> I didn't think I could. <laughs> so then about 20 minutes later, I'm taping my stick, getting ready for morning skate. My mind, I'm just going everywhere. Guys are like, hey, you all right? Man, I'm doing all right. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Billy Guerin, who is our assistant GM, now mm-hmm. the GM of the Minnesota Wild, he comes up to me. He's like, Joe V. You know, Billy's the best. I what, love what's Billy. up? What's, what's going on? I go, oh, my wife's in labor. She's, you know, six centimeters. I don't think I'll be able to make it. He goes, yeah, 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 you're going to make it. Get in the car. And I go, what car? He goes, Barrett, Jeff Barrett. Jeff Barrett's our owner. Uh-huh. He goes, Jeff, give, give him your car. So I get Jeff Barrett's keys. <laughs> get the owner of the and team's I'm like, keys. I'm like, Billy, Billy, hold on a minute. <laughs> like, listen, I, I'm not going to make it. There's no way I'm going to make this. And he goes, I don't care. I'll never forget his face in that, that corner of Norfolk, Virginia, right around the corner of the rink there. He goes, I don't care. Billy always had, like, bloodshot eyes. Oh, yeah. Why. He was always like, he's a gamer. He's just a gamer, right? <laughs> he goes, I don't care. I got kids. I'm telling you right now. Get your mm in that car, and you're going to try. You may not make it, but you're going to try because, you know what I mean, you'll, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah. So with that, he had such conviction. I'm like, Bruh. all right. So I had my getch on. I grabbed keys. Boom. Eight hours. Flying, texting, trying to get there. Now you're close. driving yourself, right? I'm driving myself. I'm, I'm bolting. In the owner's car. From West Virginia in a sweet car, by the way. <laughs> like, I'm going like 100 miles an hour, right? Eight hours. Uh, I swear to God, Alex, you can't make this up. I walk in, and she's like on her second to last push. Really? And I witness my daughter come into this world, and it's all because of Billy Aaron. Now, I got so many questions. Did you? Did they allow you just to walk in? Oh, yeah. Like, you come running in like, hey, my wife's, my wife's might be at 10 centimeters. They knew I was coming. And listen, when you're in Wilkes-Barre and you play for the Wilkes-Barre Penguins, oh, are you kidding me? Not a big deal. <laughs> it's like a town of like 2,000 people. We make up like, you it's know. It's like going into Pennsylvania and say, hey, I went to Northeastern. I was the captain of yeah, the team. We're the hot ticket in town. So they knew a Wilkes-Barre Penguin was coming in, and they kind of like just got me right to the room. And I remember my wife's face, and I was like, whoa. And then, boom. It happened. So wow. Little sidetrack there, but my that's point, the best though. My point is this: you know, Ivan's never gonna forget this. Your mm-hmm. first kid is something so memorable, and I'm so glad that he's able to work this out with his wife um, to do this. Yeah. And, and I think for the Blues fans, the transition back to hockey, I think the timing of it is great. Mm-hmm. I think that he will miss the last two round robins, and I think it's very realistic that he will be back for the second game of the first round, yeah. if not maybe the first, depending on how that goes. Because he's a huge piece, Alex. We yeah. all know that fourth line. It's the fourth line with him. Without him, it's still a fourth line. It's productive. Mackenzie McEachern can certainly go in there and fill a good role. But there is something about seeing number 49, that little short mm-hmm. Russian, just like a beeline, hitting everything and creating energy and making the right play and the smart play and the killing and starting periods and finishing games, blocking shots. There's something about that, and he will be missed. I'll say this. I, I He will be a player to focus in on when he returns to play. We know this better than anybody watching hockey for so long and you playing it. Players that have newborns, when they return, Boom. there's a different energy to them. And with an Ivan Barbashev, his last game against Colorado, he had seven freaking hits. He was tied with Blay for the mm-hmm. most. He was visible. Now you take a re-energized, healthy Ivan Barbashev who's returned, who's got four negative tests. He's on the ice. It's postseason. 
he's going to be a dangerous weapon when he comes back for Craig Berube. There's always something about baby energy. Guys talk about it all it's the time. It's a real thing. So to answer your question, I get back from Wilkes-Barre. I go back in the car. I drive all the way back to West Virginia. Hat trick for Joey V. Yeah, so our team our team ended up winning that night. Yeah. So that night, you know, I left. I left for that game. We were down in the series 2-0. It's the best of five. We're down in series 2-0. I am literally listening on my phone after we had this baby. I'm like, I could be, our season could be done. We end up winning that game, so we, we two to one series. I, oh. I drive back the next day, right? My first game back, yep. I get the G Dub, I get the game uh. puck. <laughs> we tie the series, we go home, we win the series, and we went on to like the Western Conference Final, which really? my wife hated <laughs> because that was like another like six weeks where I was completely not present and traveling on the road. But it was a good time. You're right. The point energy, yep. the the baby energy is certainly there. And I remember I got the game puck that night, and Chris Connor gave it to me, and I remember stood up, I had to make a speech, and I started crying. I was really? like, I, just, I appreciate you guys, and uh, it's been a long couple of days, but I love you, man. And everyone's like, everyone started crying. Like, I remember the boys were like, I'm not crying, you're crying. And we're all like crying. You put dust in this room. It was it was a cool night, man. That's incredible. Yeah. So that's the real thing. Now, I'm curious, though. We got a couple minutes, and we'll break, and I want to get into this a little bit later. You guys talked with Alexander Steen the other day, and Steener mentioned to you guys about what McEachern brings mm-hmm. to the ice. And look, we don't know if it's going to be McKenzie every game with I, uh, with Ivan gone. It could be a Cairo. You're not really sure. McEachern was the one who's gotten the shot. He played in that uh, exhibition game against Chicago. But Steiner had some positive things to say about McKenzie McEachern's play, which I think will I- I excite fans of him being in the lineup. Yeah, I think so. Listen, I think McKenzie, he needs a little bit more experience. I think there are times in the game where – he gets a little yippy, and I remember that, and I can say that confidently yeah. because he reminds me a lot of myself. Where I would, I would get yippy. Like you're excited, you have so much energy, and sometimes if it's not, um, if it's not, like, pulled in in the right way and used properly, it, it, you could end up becoming like yippy in a sense where you're you're so quick to get rid of the puck, mm-hmm. or instead of like waiting to make a play, you just kind of get rid of it so quickly. I think McKenzie's got a little bit of that because he's an exciting kid. He, he's a good kid. He's a, a, full of enthusiasm and the way he plays. He plays with passion. He plays with the heart on the sleeve. But Alexander Steen said that, you know, what does Mac bring? Well, Mac brings a couple of really good things. And he, one was he brings that predictability factor. You know exactly what he's going to do every single shift. Mm-hmm. He is going to skate. He is going to finish every check. He is going to back check to the house, and he is going to win his wall plays. And that is a great feeling when you're on his line. Having predictability, whether you're a great player or even a mediocre player, like sometimes it doesn't really matter. But as long as you're predictable, as long as you you can be counted upon to do the job, and that's what that's what McKenzie brings. Uh, he's a fast kid. Uh, he will be physical. And, you know, he's got a little scoring touch to him. We've seen yep. some amazing goals from McKenzie over this past year, year and a half. So I think it's, it's not wrong to say that I think that this fourth line could – Bring the energy, but also but also contribute and pop in some goals. And I know Steiner uh, and, and Sonny always joke about it. We're just going to feed it to 28's corner. They're coming over the red. <laughs> Oscar's going to look to the right, and he's going to see Alexander Steen. He's going to look to the left, and he's going to see Mackenzie McEachern. He's like, I'm going to dump it in that corner. I'm going to let him go get it, and I'm going to let Steiner just kind of float in as the third man. You know, it's like it's like playing the odds. You know, everyone always would say, if you ever find yourself on a two-on-one with Sidney Crosby, Find some way to give him the puck. Even if it gets busted up by the defenseman, at least you got to try because you got to play the odds. Yeah. And I think that for Sonny and Steiner, when they're playing with them, they're going to play the odds. They're going to put it in his corner. They know he's going to be like a bat out of hell. He's going to go in there. He's going to finish his check. He's going to create separation and ultimately set up a four check, which is what this fourth line team needs. And really the team needs. I think that, Alex, this is something that the Blues have been lacking in the first two games, and understandably so, but 
uh, forechecking has been something that the Blues uh, can really improve on. I think McKenzie can bring that. Yeah, we'll talk about those improvements uh, in just a bit here on this week in hockey. That's Christa, or that's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. You'll see that McKenzie McEachern line most likely on Thursday against the Vegas Golden Knights. But again, if you missed it, Ivan Barbashev has left the bubble back in St. Louis for the birth of his first child. And when he returns to the bubble, he's going to have to quarantine himself for four days, get four negative tests before he can return to the ice with the St. Louis Blues. We'll come back. I want to get Joe Vitale's thoughts on who the best option for the first round will be for the St. Louis Blues. We'll touch on that next year on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Final time here on the first hour of This Week in Hockey, along with Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario, hanging out with you until 8 o'clock. we got Brady Kachuk coming up in the second hour, about 7.15 tonight. Excited to talk to, of course, the St. Louis product, the St. Louis native, the son of Keith Kachuk and the brother of Matthew Kachuk, who went through a little controversy against the Winnipeg. Jets. So we'll get into that uh, with Brady coming up in the next hour. But Joe, after watching these Western Conference teams play, and I did a segment with Jamie Rivers earlier today on Rivs and BK talking about this, there's a team that I do not want to play in this first round of the playoffs if I'm the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues players don't have an opinion. This is just me from the outside. That team is the Nashville Predators. I've been watching Nashville play, and if I'm not mistaken, they pulled out a victory today against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, they did win today, huh? Did they? I, I, th- I think so. Okay. I was double-checking it. They were up uh, They were up the last time I looked at it, but I'll have to go back and see. But you say Saros has played two strong games against the Arizona Coyotes. Now, he lost the first one, but that was a game where he looked really solid in net for Nashville. Nashville is second to the Blues in terms of defensive units, I think, in the Mm -hmm. Western Conference and in the NHL. They're really good. On top of that, though, they got offense that just gives you fits. Guys like an Austin Watson or a Colton Sissons. These players always seem to bother the Blues. Blues were unable to beat them in the regular season this year. They had success last year, but only three wins since 2017 against Nashville. And with John Hines as their head coach... They seem like they're a dangerous team. So for me, watching them twice, they look like a team that I'd be worried if I'm St. Louis to play against. Well, you know, last week, Alex, we were on our show. We we talked about what series scares us the most. And I brought up the, the Arizona-Nashville series because I think either way, that winner of that would, would give problems to the Blues. So I'm going to kind of have a split decision here between Arizona and Nashville. I don't want to play whatever team comes out of that series. Wow. And I, I really... You know, you look at that first game, and to your point about Nashville, I think there was a lot of doubters about Nashville after game one, but, geez, look at that game. Yeah. They they came out humming, and then all of a sudden, Oliver ekman Larson shoots from the point. It hits a Nashville Predator stick, goes off of Matt Duchesne's chest and over the head of UC Soros. I mean, <laughs> like, the craziest of bounces, and yeah. I think Arizona fed off that momentum. They scored a couple more. Nashville made it really interesting at the end. But I'm telling you right now, Nashville is the real deal. They got a great coach, and this is the one thing that I think they've been lacking in the past, I think uh, Peter Laviolette's time kind of ran out. I think he uh, his voice got a little stale in Nashville. And I think that the GM pretty much just looked at that and said, listen, we just need a different voice. I think that's what they really were missing. You got two exceptional goaltenders. UC Soros is obviously the starter for a reason. And then you got Pecorini, the Vesna, yeah. uh, arguably maybe a Hall of Famer at some point. We'll see. Um, as the backup, mm-hmm. the defenseman and Ellis. I mean, you look at Roman Yossi, a defenseman that can get up in the rush, similar to what Dallas does. They have a lot of Dallas in them, I would say, as yeah. far as guys that can make plays, get up the rush, be a threat on the point, fishing pucks through. You know, they they have forwards that are skilled. The one weakness I think that why I think the Blues would have an advantage of playing the Nashville uh, Predators would be that I think they lack a lot of just 
strength yeah. and physicality. I think that they're not going to play that hard style, physical. They're a finesse group. You know, you look at Johansson. Uh, Benino can rough it up a little bit, but uh, Philip Forsberg, for example, I mean, just take Philip Forsberg and Johansson and Duchesne. They're top three forwards. To me, finesse, skill, uh, fish it through, saucer pass, back door, under the bar. I mean, the cross style goals behind the net. That's what they represent. And it's fun and it's flashy. But I think that that's where the Blues' advantage will come if they were to face them at some point. I think that the Blues' smash-mile style of hockey goes. I think that they will wear them down and physically just physically just wreck them. But I, I do get nervous with Nashville. I think that, especially with the new coach behind the bench, I know the motivation skills of John Hines, and I think he's going to bring out the best. I had a conversation with Barrett Jackman before the Blues' exhibition game. He stopped in our studio over there at Centene, and I asked him, how about your Nashville Predators, anything this year? And he said, if they can get Philip Forsberg going, mm-hmm. they're going to have a shot. And, and, and I understand what that's like when the Pittsburgh Penguins won back in 2009. Evgeny Malkin was possessed. He was simply possessed. Yeah. It was the year he won the Conn Smythe. Uh, they couldn't lose because they knew they had 71 who was going to make a play every time he stepped on the ice. Now, if Philip Forsberg does that, I think they're really going to give Nashville um, a big advantage on every team they play. But if they can't get him going, I think they're going to have to rely too much on the secondary scoring, and I don't know if they'll have what it takes. The power play unit scares me too with that team. When you think about guys like Forsberg and Duchesne and and Turris, like you talked about, but even throwing in a Nick Bonino, who's like a secondary option for them and how good he has been uh, for Nashville. I'm curious, you mentioned the physicality of the St. Louis Blues. Do you think that can be as effective in these playoffs as it was last playoffs because you're not going through an 82-game schedule and into the postseason like they did last year. A lot of these teams have those four months off to where St. Louis can still grind them down, but these guys are a little more healthy than what they were last year. I think that the style can still work. My concern with the Blues is this. You need that aggressive, physical, smash-mouth, Blues brand of hockey to win. Craig Berube has told this group, this is how we're going to win. Either climb on board or get the heck off. But we are going to play one way because that's the only way we can have success. It requires a lot of one thing, Alex, that I don't know if the Blues are going to have enough of. This is my concern. It requires energy. It requires a lot of energy to play the style of hockey they need to play in order to be successful. Now, having that energy is its one thing when you're playing at the Enterprise Center in a sold-out building. It's, it's having the energy when, you, when your bus pulls up to the rink and you see fans everywhere, right? I mean, you already start kind of brewing. The energy thing is going to be a big one for me because these guys are showing up to a quiet building after being in a quiet hotel for the last three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no fans. Your team scores. There's nothing in the building. <laughs> you know, it's the energy thing is, a, is going to be a big one for me. Can they create enough energy from within to play that aggressive style consistently. If yeah. they do, if they find that, again, I think they have no problem. But if they run into some trouble, look at these first two games. I'm not looking too much into them, but there, there's a lack of energy because of obvious reasons. And we're seeing how that lack of energy is producing bad results, I think, for the St. Louis Blues. Um, that's my concern. I, I don't know I don't know yeah. if there's much there to that. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just if they if they don't have energy they can't play that style, and yeah. I think that's going to be a big one. Is there an easy team that you feel like for the St. Louis Blues in the first round matchup? I mean, to me, Edmonton. Edmonton is. Yeah, I think we're gonna. I think we'd shut down Connor McDavid. We've proven that. I yeah. mean, Colton Pareko uh, at the time, Jay Bomeister at the time, yeah. did a relatively great job doing that. 
and then now with Marco Scandella, who's had the 10 games in the regular season, I forget which teams exactly, but he's done a wonderful job shutting down top lines. I think 55 and number six can shut down the dry sidle and Connor McDavid line. I think if you get a good match, and we will have home ice advantage, if you can get Ryan O'Reilly or Braden Shen out there, kind of split the duties between that Connor McDavid line, I think their defense is weak. I think their goaltending, obviously there's drama with their goaltending. Who do, you know? Who's going to start which game? We right. don't know yet. It looks like Mike Smith is going to ride pine now. But to me, Edmonton, I just I feel like if we shut down those two best players in the world with Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, I don't know if there's enough beyond that. So to me, I don't know about you, but to me that would be the best. Well, and especially with Ivan Barbashev coming back, like we talked about in the previous segment of having that new baby energy, a fourth line that was so good at shutting down that Boston top line. And and look, Edmonton went into desperation mode these last couple of games against Chicago of having to put McDavid and Dreisaitl together to create offense. Now they scored six goals against Chicago the other night, but I have a feeling that when you get those matchups, you have three separate lines that can go up against that top line of Edmonton. And McDavid, and look, I don't know the guy, but just from watching him play, if he's in that physical battle, it looks like he can get frustrated if you got guys finishing off checks like an Ivan Barbashev or an Oscar Sundquist do with him on the ice. Yeah, I mean, but my, he is a he is a special player. One missed check, God. he's gone. God, I mean, it's it's funny. I talked to Benning about this. He's a Northeastern Husky dog. A Not def- a big deal. Defenseman for the Edmonton Oilers. I talked to him last year. I'm like, dude, what's it like playing with Connor McDavid? You know, because I have I have a decent reference of playing with Sydney. I mean, that was some remarkable four years yeah. of just what I saw and what I witnessed. I'm like, what is it like just witnessing him every day? I mean, what does he do? And and he went into a bunch of things. But you know, one thing that always jumps out that he said about Connor McDavid. And something I still watch when he plays. And if you, if you watch for it, it's there. Most guys with the puck, they're looking at defenseman's hips. They're looking at shoulders. They're looking at eyes. They're looking at stick position. Connor McDavid will focus and zero in on skates. Uh, if you look at the um, – so he beat a defenseman in Toronto this year. It's a highlight goal. People have probably seen it. And if you haven't, look it up on YouTube. It's, an, it's one of the best goals of the season so far. He's playing in Toronto. I think it was Morgan Riley. It was a one-on-one. He cuts to the inside, and right as Morgan Riley starts to cross over, bam, Connor McDavid's gone the other way. So what, what, what Connor does, and he scores an amazing goal, what he does is he waits for a weight shift mm-hmm. in the skates. He's this good, where he's got the puck, he's got his head up, but he's kind of with his peripheral vision looking down at the defenseman's skates. So he'll start leaning to the right, and as soon as he sees that defenseman lead to the left with him, that's when he makes his move back to the opposite direction. So he actually catches defenseman in transition so it's, it's hard to does that make sense yeah, so how the hell do you do that it, as a hockey player he's so fast <laughs> in the first place but that's why he looks even faster because he's blowing by guys so quickly because there's actually a lot of tactics involved he's yeah. actually waiting for them to lean one way and then boom just like that really just embarrassed Ali Mata last <laughs> night and Corey Crawford yeah, with that did. sick play so yes, he did that's Joe Vitale I'm Alex Ferrario we're going to take a quick break and come back look into a little of what happened against the Colorado Avalanche for the Blues also Brady Kachuk is going to join us at about 7 15 so stick around more hockey talk your way next here on 101 ESPN our number two welcome back everybody Alex Ferrario Joe Vitale with you Blues back in action tomorrow night nope not tomorrow night Thursday night Just got too excited for hopefully hockey back at it. It'll be Thursday night against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It'll be a 5.30 puck drop, as we learned earlier today. A 4.30 
pregame skate here on 101 ESPN and the first community credit union pregame skate on 101 ESPN then the BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate starting at five o'clock so Joe the last time we saw the Blues we haven't even really gotten into this because we've had so much to talk about already but the last time we saw the Blues play of course was against the Colorado Avalanche Sunday night a heartbreaking finish to the game with one-tenth of a second Nazem Kadri um banking the shot off of the post and then scoring it basically on an empty net. But I think the bigger thing to take away from that one was, one, the still lack of scoring for the St. Louis Blues, which David Perron talked earlier today about how they got to be better. But two, how some of the areas for the Blues just didn't look right. And I'm curious from your angle, can they get back to that style of hockey fast enough to get that first round of hockey going? Yeah, you know, I think that you know, we talked about in the first hour, Alex, and what the Blues need for their style is energy. They need to be aggressive. They need to play physical. They need to have a good forecheck. They need to cycle. All things that require a ton of energy. Right now, they don't have a lot of energy for obvious reasons. You're stuck in a bubble. You're stuck in a hotel room. There's lots of different things that are kind of, that are kind of, you know, taking a step back and kind of mixing with the emotions of these players right now. So it's completely understandable, but one thing's very clear. They need to find it. they got to find a way to create that energy within their room, within themselves, to play a certain brand of hockey. We have not seen it yet, um, and I think that unless the Blues do find that, it's going to be very difficult for them. They're not a team like the Colorado Avalanche. You don't have a Nathan McKinnon. You don't have a dry side on Connor McDavid that you can just lean on and have that skill kind of take over. Mm -hmm. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they lean on those three top forwards all the time, and they're just that good where they can actually take over a game. The Blues are built differently. The Blues are built um, with a lot of, um, I'm not going to disrespect them and say there's no superstars on the team because we certainly have you know Vladimir Tarasenko, you have Ryan O'Reilly, you have a lot, lot of brand names. But we also don't have that that guy that's like an ultimate like you don't have that Connor McDavid. We don't have that or guy. Sidney Crosby we or now it's Ovechkin. We don't have that Evgeny Malkin that can mm-hmm. take over a, a series or a playoffs like he did in 2009. So it's going to take a team effort and it's going to take a, a full commitment to have guys playing aggressive and physical. Am I worried about it? No, I'm not worried about it because I think for guys they're kind of they're kind of testing the waters and I think that's perfectly acceptable. And you don't want to peak too early. You don't want to. You don't want to blow everything you have in these next two games, because you know there's a first round coming. Mm-hmm. I think they can turn on the switch. I think it needs to improve a little bit. I think they need to find some sort of game within that. I don't look for it maybe necessarily on Thursday versus Vegas, but definitely by Dallas on Sunday. I think we should see at least a period, maybe two, of complete Blues hockey, smash mouth, forecheck, cycle boxing out, all those physical things. I think that is the game we will fully see at least a period of it and what it looks like just so they're confident heading into that first well, round. And defensively, it looked off too. Now, I thought it looked better against Colorado, but you were still allowing, what, 16 shots in the first period, 10 shots in the second period. Bennington was incredible. But defensively, it just looks off a little bit still. But I thought Petro said it best after that, after that game against Chicago. He said, you cannot prepare – for an opponent in training camp on defense. Like, Mm -hmm. you can go through scrimmages, and they did plenty of those scrimmages between two sides with the Blues, but that's not the same taking on a Jaden Schwartz than it is taking on a Nate McKinnon who's out there throwing his weight around, playing an actual hockey game rather than a scrimmage with your own team. So I would imagine defensively, and I know you were a forward in the NHL, but you've been around plenty of defensemen, Joe. I would imagine that area will come with more reps for the defensemen. Well, it will come with more reps, but you're hoping that 
you don't run out of reps before you start losing some meaningful games, if that makes any sense at all. You need to find that relatively quickly, but he's got an absolutely great point. During this offseason, during training camp, St. Louis, they weren't working on D-zone coverage. You don't sit around in your bedroom at night in June and March or April and think about D-zone coverage and how you're going to improve. It's hard to improve that because you just need to play games to get that. You are working on your shot. You are working on stick handling. You are working on different elements of the game, getting stronger, getting more flexible. But the area that you cannot prepare for, he's exactly right, is defensive zone coverage. It's communicating. It's having players, excuse me, it's having players crisscrossing, drop passes, who's got who. Nathan McKinnon comes in the blue line and he crosses. Is that my guy or do do we we hand him off to a forward, a back-checking forward? Do we have an F3? It's all that communication and seeing it over and over again. It's that repetition that kind of gets just hammered into your brain. And teams have it figured out in November when they start in October. But this is different. This is going to take a little bit more time. And I don't know if um, – I don't know how much time we have necessarily before that first game where the Blues really need to dial it in. Because if you talk talking next week, if we start that first game and it's still not completely dialed in yet, and mm-hmm. you start falling behind, just this, this tournament and this playoffs, I feel like this is a a style you don't want to fall behind. That right. makes any sense. Part of me feels like, too, that when you get into – the first round where you're facing an elimination because look you've sacrificed a lot if you're a player from going to this bubble and sacrificing weeks and months away from your family going for the Stanley Cup right now and I feel so bad saying it because these guys are competitors these are athletes they're not taking games for granted but right now that elimination threat's not there for you Mm -hmm. The elimination threat once that first round opens up is going to be there. So that first loss that happens in the first round of the playoffs, part of me wonders if it wakes players up. And the Blues look at it as, okay, whoa, we just dropped a game. We're three away from being eliminated. Now it's time to turn on the gears. Not that they're not turning them on now, but I'm just wondering if that if that desperation mode kicks in once the actual first round of the playoffs kick in, so that you get to your game faster. I think I think it will. You know, I just I I don't know how quickly from a team aspect it will be just to flip on a switch overnight yeah. and get it though. That that's the problem because you're right. Without the threat of going home, without the the threat of losing something substantial, how can these players really be expected to give everything they got? I mean, even Alexander Steen said before the game the other night, you know, we don't we don't want to get to our game tonight. Right. We want to make make headway there. We want to close the gap. We want to bust out too early. We don't want to bust out too early. But at the same time, you, you gotta bust out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta see what it looks like just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think if if the, if they could find one good period in, in Thursday's game against the Vegas Golden Knights, maybe that first period is just a smash mouth, bam. Yeah. They come out, they start that fourth line, they start running, ozone time, shots on goal, drawing penalties. Even if the second and third kind of fizzle out a little bit, let's say we lose the game. Let's say Jake starts, which I think Jake might get a, some, some yeah. time in that game. If we lose that game, that's okay. That's okay. I think, I think at the end of the game, Craig Ruby wants to say one thing to his team. All right, boys, maybe not a complete 60 minutes, but that first period – that's what we look like. Right. That's what success looks like. I'm glad we did it for 20 minutes, and you guys remember that. We're going to have a meeting tomorrow. We're going to look at that first period because this is what it's going to take to win. Okay, so now Sunday, Dallas game. Remember that first game. Got, got, players got it. That's what we. That's right. That's right. It's been, been a while. I got it. Got it. It's been five months. I got it. And then, bam, you start maybe a period, two periods. Maybe put a full game together. Who knows? But yeah. even just two periods, again, that's another step. 
and then ultimately you want to be riding a good wave heading into that first game. I'm curious your perspective too, Joe. Um, McRoster-wise, without Barbashev, opens up a spot. McEachern's going to be the guy that gets that first shot. Jordan Cairo, is this a player that you feel like we will see at some point in the postseason, or is this something that Craig Berube uh, will get to just repetition of the same guys, right? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a great question. I was hoping to see him in the game in these round rounds. I was too. At least an exhibition. If it's going to happen, I would think it's going to happen tomorrow, or excuse me, Thursday. Mm-hmm. But we will see. I, I think that he, to me, is a player that, if he's not used at some point, I'd be like, ooh, really? Because I remember, you know, the speed alone's there. Right. right. But I liked the way his game was trending in March before this whole thing got shut down. He was starting to become tough to play. His stick became heavy. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just pick his pocket. He was making good plays with the puck. Even Craig Bruby was raving about him. And I think that if you have a matchup, the Colorado Avalanche, fast team. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, fast team. Calgary Flames, fast. These are fast teams. If, if you get a matchup like that and you start falling behind me and you start lacking some speed, it would not shock me to see Jordan Cairo inserted in there at some point. Might be a bust out moment, too. You know, it, it might. I'm not saying he's going to change a game for you. Like a Robbie Fabry moment? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Sure. Where you get one game where it's like, okay, we need a spark. That's our energy plug. It's kind of like what Sammy Blay did against the Dallas Stars, right? You put him in for one game. Jordan's Cairo, and, and look, by no means am I saying that he's going to change the outcome of a hockey game, but. That speed gives you something that other teams aren't expecting. Yep. Teams think the Blues as they're going to wear you down like that. I would imagine that pregame coach conversation is, guys, be ready. They're going to be physical. They're going to wear you down. They're going to try to get you off your game. But then you insert a Cairo, and it's, oh, shoot, here comes this guy who's speeding around everybody. Exactly. I mean, you keep defensemen on their toes for that reason. And, you know, I think that I think he's grown up a lot. I think that Jordan, when he came into the league, he's dealt with a lot of problems that young guys deal with. You go from playing amateur hockey to junior hockey where you show up at the rink in your blue jeans, you just play. And then you go home and you play video games and you do whatever, right? You don't. But becoming a professional is something that Jordan has really grabbed onto. Mm-hmm. And Craig Bruby's had discussions with him. Veterans have had discussions with him. And I think he's realized what I need to do to stay in this league. What you need to do is you need to show up not on time, on time is late. You show up 20 minutes before you need to be there, right? You you take care of your body. You you deal with nutrition in a way you've never dealt with before. You're getting your rest, right? When practice starts, you're on. Like this isn't something you float into the practice. That was a problem for Craig Brewery for a lot of young guys. When practice started, they kind of eased their way into practice. No, no, no. You ease your way into practice when you're out there 20 minutes before practice starts. Yeah. When, when when the first drill hits and that first whistle blows, you are going at absolutely full tank, mm-hmm. like everything you got, and you are not taking any rep off. And that's what it takes to be a professional. Having pride in your work habits, having pride in game in, game out routines, taking care of your nutrition, foam rolling after games, don't just hop on a bus, right? Little things like that, Jordan Kyra has grown into a lot, and I think it's, we're, we're starting to see how it's affected his game, at least be, until before the pause in March. Well, I know a lot of people are excited to hopefully see him if he gets in any game action. And again, the Blues play uh, Thursday night, Vegas Golden Knights, Sunday against the Dallas Stars. Plenty more Blues conversation along the way. Well, we're going to take a break, though, switch some gears, talk a little NHL, talk a little what no hockey is like for an NHL player, and that's Brady Kachuk, of course, of the Ottawa Senators. He's right now in the offseason. 
offseason, a very long offseason. We'll get into that with Brady Kachuk next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Welcome back here on a Tuesday night. This week in hockey, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you, hanging out, uh, leading you up to the Blues' next game, round robin game number two against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. That game on Tuesday night, it'll be a 5.30 puck drop, a 4.30 pregame skate here on 101 ESPN. But we're going to talk hockey with a guy who's got his brother playing in this play-in game and also a player who I'm assuming is going stir-crazy not being able to play some hockey right now. He is Brady Kachuk. Brady, thanks so much for taking some time and hopping on with us tonight, buddy. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm curious because I'm assuming without any hockey for you and having all of this time off, you got to be losing your mind right now, man, between the four-month layoff of no hockey and then hockey being played and you guys not coming back to who knows when. This is kind of insanity right now for you. Yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, going pretty crazy right now. I'm, I mean, I'm a big Calgary fan right now, so I'm cheering on <laughs> Matthew, and hopefully he's gone for a while. And um, No, I mean, just every game it's on. Usually watching games at the gym at, uh, with Crash up at Elevated Performance. So I'm usually up there, and, it's, and I say to myself, well, I'm working out here, all these guys are playing. So um, no, I've been talking to a couple of the guys on uh, our team and be like, uh now our goal is to to get to you know the playoffs so we don't have any more of these long summers. So um, I mean it's it's fun to watch. I mean it's great for everybody to have hockey back and as you know all the games have been just like midseason form. It's like that's it's like guys weren't taking four months off with this you know pandemic. So it's it's, it's been great hockey. It's been a lot of fun to watch and um, you know definitely some things to you know pick at and uh, you know it's even sitting here. It's just been. You know, learning and, and watching and um, you know, getting some uh, you know, more tools for to use in the future. Brady, I mean, you think about it, you mentioned the time off. You know, you're looking at four months at the layover. The Ottawa Centers, unfortunately, don't make the playoffs here. Let's say the hockey comes back January 1. You know, I did the quick math here while you were just talking there for a second. I'm pretty sure that's just shy of 10 months. I mean, 10 months without playing in a real game has that really sunk in for you yet as far as like how are you mentally getting through this right now knowing that it could be possibly almost a whole year between games yeah well I mean like you said there's a lot of time in my hands so um, I don't know I think it's important uh, you know 10 months is a long time till the next game so is you know hit it hard for a bit and then I mean it's good for the mental state to you know kind of take a break and and relax and, and stuff like that but no, I'm just trying to pass time. Just been watching a lot of hockey. I watched you know, a lot of our our team's game, and you know, throughout the year last year. And uh, no, I mean, no, it's it's you never have this much to train and, and prepare for the next year. So I think this is going to be you know really important summer for our team to come in um, in really good shape and ready to go right from you know that first game, that first exhibition game, to make sure. Um, you know, are back and ready and, and ready to head it hard going into the year because you know, a lot of guys have big expectations for you know, ourselves. And, and like I said earlier, we want to be a team that's you know, in the postseason and, and you know, make a run for it. So I think that's kind of you know, the back of our minds throughout these 10 months is, is you know, to learn from everything and, and to find that extra level to, to get to the postseason. Brady, what's that training regimen like for, for, for you? Because, I mean, technically for how much time you guys have been off, that's like two different off seasons. And, you know, usually players give themselves a couple of months or maybe just a month to relax and kind of shut it down and get the body back to 100%. And then they get right back into training. But right now it seems like you got two different off seasons to deal with. 
Yeah, well, you know, right away in you know, March, April, we, no one really knew what was happening and, and what was going to happen. So, uh, no, we and nothing was open here. So, um, luckily, uh, you know, Crash up at Elevated, he you know came to the house for some driveway workouts. So, um, no matter, like our whole family was hitting it pretty hard for you know March, April, May, and then you know once we found out the the play-in and, and the return to play and, and their decision about the 2014, you know, tournament is, um, I mean, I knew that, you know, our team is out. So, um, you know, it took some time and, and, you know, tried working on the golf game a little bit, you know, you know visited, you know, my girlfriend and, and trying to kind of get a, get away from it a little bit, kind of get that mental month break. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it was good as, you know, spent a lot of quality time um, and, now, you know, kind of that last month and a half kind of been hitting it hard again and, and kind of doing little increments where, you know, hit it hard, take a break, hit it hard, take a break. Because you know, like we said earlier, it's so much time. And um, so it's, it's something that no one's really experienced before. So, um, you know, it's new to, new to me. So just try to, you know, find things that work. And, and you know, it took a lot, lot, long time off of, you know, off the ice and um, really try to, you know, heal every little minor thing and try to just uh, build from the ground up. So um, I know I'm very excited to, uh, you know, start skating a little bit, but start, um, you know, watching all this. It's, you know, I want to be on the ice all the time and, and make sure we're ready. Once again, we're talking to Brady Kachuk. Grew, grew up here in St. Louis. Uh, made St. Louis hockey, gosh, yeah, extremely proud. Yeah. I, I trained with him growing up. He's talking about elevated performance a lot with John Benny, a former trainer of the St. Louis Blues. Got an incredible gym. So it's been, it's been awesome seeing Brady go. Brady, you mentioned... You're rooting for Calgary. You're a Calgary fan, obviously, because your brother Matthew Kachuk being a part of the Calgary Flames. And I'll be honest with you, man, I'm a Calgary fan now too. Mm-hmm. I love the way you play. I love the I love what Matthew's doing in the game. I love how he plays. You guys just mimic your dad so much. And th- th- your ability to get under your opponent's skin. But I wanted to ask you particularly about the Mark Shifley hit that everyone's talking about right now, uh, which dealt with your brother Matthew going in, finishing a hit on Mark Shifley. I got my opinions about it. I think it's a complete joke what Paul Maurice has said. I think he said it for political reasons to get his team going. I don't think there's any merit to what he said. It's such a fast play at fast space where I, I just cannot see how there was any intent to injure Mark Shifley. Um, so I was kind of uh, offended by the comments, Mark Sh- or excuse me, by Paul Maurice. And I kind of just wanted your take, not only as Matthew being your brother, but a fan of hockey. What did you think? Yeah, well, to be honest, that's a little – no touchy subject because you know what no one's ever thought about you know what i'm gonna go hit this guy but oh if he turns up i'm just gonna clip him with my skate and you know what it's it's unfortunate that he said that i mean i mean i know i'm obviously biased towards matthew but um you know to call it disgusting call it you know he purposely did it to make that accusation i think that's not only unfair but that's just completely wrong to say i mean it's i mean i mean i get pretty frustrated myself with that because i i know it's my brother but to even say that about another person about how it's a disgusting intent to end somebody's career and it's you know what it's a uh, politics are not with trying to get his team going i just think that's you know pretty unfair and i think that's uh, a little bold that he said that 
So, Brady, I'm curious, speaking of Matthew, what do you think the Calgary Flames' chances are in the Western Conference kind of qualifying round? They've played a very, very strong game uh, so far against the Winnipeg Jets, but the way that Calgary's set up and for the amount of time that they've had off, it seems like they have a distinct advantage if they're able to get into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, watching these two games, I mean, of course, they lost. The Winnipeg lost some great players in that first game, but you know they came out hot that second game. They played you know simple and, and hard and physical, just like Calgary was playing game one. Uh, they're playing you know super hard, super physical, and just giving each other no room. So I mean, I think it's a great series to watch. I mean, you know, watching you know bits and pieces throughout each day with all these games coming on. I mean, I think that's the most exciting series so far. I mean, like I said earlier, I'm pretty biased because you know I'm rooting for Calgary, but. I mean, it's it's been fun. It's been fast. It's been physical. It's just the team that wants it more. I mean, I feel like that's every series. The team that wants it wants it more is going to win. So, um, you know, I'm excited for this game three uh, coming up here, and and um, hopefully. Um, you know, Calgary comes out to win, and uh, but it should be a lot of fun to watch. Brady, I love catching up with you on the road. I love catching up with Matthew and and Alex. I'm telling you, going around talking to these young players in the league, it's it's amazing. I know you call them millennials or whatever. Basically, well, young, I'm one of those. So yeah, you know, but there's a lot of young kids that are on video games all day long, and you go to approach them, you talk to them, and they kind of give you the gears a little yeah. bit. Like, and and I will say, Brady and Matthew, you guys both, Brady, I mean this sincerely, have always just had such a professional approach, almost like you're. 40-year-olds stuck in like 20-year-olds' bodies, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and I know a lot of that has to do with your father. Was it something that you just, you and Matthew, observed your father and how he treated people? Or was it a message, like verbally a message he sent you guys when you started in the league? Or maybe is it from your mom? Or where do you guys get that kind of demeanor? Yeah, well, no, I definitely think it's, it's you know, both for my parents. They've just you know, taught us so many valuable lessons, you know, through our, throughout our life and, you know, how to treat people, you know, well and how to kind of carry yourselves with that uh, nice, confident, polite demeanor. So, um, no, I mean, I mean, I think that's a the great question. I think that's a two, two-parter for me is that, you know, one, be able to see my dad and, and how he interacts with not only his teammates, but probably the most important people on the team is, is the staff, the equipment guys, the trainers, the um, the media, the media guys, the um, you know, fire team, Jordan, our travel guy. I mean, it's just, it's just how you know he interacted with them because realistically, those those guys are the most important part of the team. They've you know keep us and you know dialed in twenty four seven and and no, just to see how he you know interacted with them and um, you know some of his best friends are, are the staff. So that's definitely something you know I've seen is just how he's treated people and. And um, you know how well respected he is, and how everybody knows he would do anything for the team and do anything to win. And and I think that's probably the thing Matthew and I took most is just how he treated you know those guys, but as his mindset and winning and how everybody respected him so much. And and yeah, he you know taught us some verbal things as the you know the two rules he always had for us going into every day and and to be successful is work hard and be a team. So. Um, you know, just being able to see him and and interact with other people, but also with you know those those words. I mean, I just think that he helped us out tremendously, and and I know Matthew and I keep trying to do that every single day, and and uh, hopefully one day we can get to you know his level. 
Well, he was one of my favorite favorite players growing up, Brady, and I see a lot of him of of you both on the ice, and uh, it's great to be able to hear that side of it as well, Brady. Before we let you go, I do have one request though. Um, once the off season hits for everybody in the NHL, will you pre will you and your brother please bring back the Brady versus Matthew Kachuk series because that was some of the most entertainment that I had in that downtime with no sports. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that was. Know, a lot of fun to to do too because it really showed us who who could be the better athlete. So there's a little competition there, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, it's not till you know mid October when Matthew comes back. So um, hopefully, he's he's making that big push here. So. Um, I hope we can do it, but I also hope that we don't have the time to. Brady, you got to include your sister, Taryn, though, because I hear she's the best athlete of all three of you. And that lacrosse video that you guys did was awesome. Yeah, you know what? She, it's, a lot of people say she's the best athlete in the family. That is confirmed. She is the best <laughs> athlete in the family. She can pick up whatever sport, you know, you know, field hockey's her sport. So she's, you know, so successful there. I just hope. Now, for my time and, and my sake, that I hope her season comes up here, so I I can watch her play and and give her the gears and and work on her field game with her. Because now with her, she's you know super dedicated and and super committed, and um, you know she's doing so well. And um, no, I just hope for everyone's sake in this household. Once um, you know everything kind of starts getting going here, I hope field hockey the season gets going because. Uh, I know that the world will be revolved around Taryn, and I, I can't wait for uh, that to happen. Awesome stuff. Hey, Brady, thank you so much for taking some time out tonight and hopping on with both of us. It's great to catch up. Uh, enjoy watching Matthew. Hopefully we see him make that push in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, looking forward to getting to see you back on the ice again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. There you go. That's Brady Kachuk with us here. We'll take a quick break and come back with more on This Week in Hockey. Big thank you once again to Brady Kachuk for taking a couple of minutes out of his time tonight hopping on with us. Joe, I would imagine, it, like, as a player, that's got to suck. Like, And that's why I brought it up to him because you're offseason. Let's say you don't make the playoffs. You're mm-hmm. done in April. You're you're back at training camp in August, September, before you get into preseason action. Late, late August. So you're talking four months there. Yeah. He's had four months already. Yeah. Now you got to add on to it another four months. Like, this has got to be a nightmare for guys like Brady. God, I mean, especially because you're watching so much hockey now. And, yeah. And, like, he even said it. You know, he wants to be out there. He wants to have that team. And I love the way he talks about his team. He talks about how we have high expectations. He's talking from a team standpoint. It's never individual about him. And and there are great expectations starting to shift in Ottawa. And I think that they have just an amazing leader in Brady Kachuk. And, gosh, he has really grown up. Speaking, I know we were talking about Jordan Cairo, I think a segment ago. You know, Brady Kachuk was a kid that I remember when he was 11, 12 years old, and I was training here in St. Louis. We were doing some track workouts, Alex, and doing sprints and doing stairs and all these kind of crazy stuff with with John Benny, like we were talking about. Brady was the 11-year-old, the youngest kid in the group. Uh, Matthew was there. Chris Butler was there. A lot of guys were there. He was always a guy that would always just, we always just joked he just pulled the shoot. Yeah. Like he always got out of any kind of workout that he could. We were like, Brady, what's wrong? You can't do sprints today? He's like, <laughs> he's like yeah, I think my I think my left rib, uh, my left ab, my second ab is like strained. We're like, oh, your second ab is strained. He's like, yeah, my I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit this one out. Okay. You guys have a good one. And we would do our sprint. And he was always getting out of every workout. And that's when, that's when like, I hear coaches and parents like, if you don't work hard, you know, no. Sometimes you're just gifted. Yeah. Sometimes you just got it. And he's always just got it. It's always been very natural. 
uh, for Brady, but uh, just a terrific man. That's me on radio. I just, you know, sometimes you're just gifted with this, right? Like you don't That's even right. have to try. You just get don't it. Don't tell Curbs that. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That's going to bite me in the rear end sooner or later. Did you? What's the craziest excuse you heard from a teammate of why you couldn't play? Oh, man. Can you think of one? Oh, gosh. I don't think off the top of my head. I mean, hockey players probably don't have those as much, but, like, I would imagine somebody in the history of hockey has been like, ah, boys, my, uh, I had a cramp in my big toe last night. And <laughs> Turf toe. You know what? I've I've got a, a muscle cramp. It's just it's not going to happen for me. You tonight. know, I I I don't know of an injury. I do remember one time in junior where we had a player. I'm not going to say his name, but we had a guy, a young guy. He was a rookie. He was from Minnesota, and I was in Sioux Falls. So it was like a six hour drive. So it was pretty close to Minnesota where he was from. We went on a six day road trip with three games. And towards the end of the year, we're out of the playoffs, and this is this was a kid who was just great in high school hockey in Minnesota, kind of a prima donna. He had yeah. a little like cake eaten to him, I guess you could say. And he claimed that he uh, was dealing with a shoulder AC sprain. I remember in practice he couldn't lift up his shoulder, all this and the other, and whatever. And then, and then so he's dealing with that for a while. And then he starts rehabbing, getting better. But then we hit this road trip, and then he says he comes down with the flu. So he's like really sick. And we're like, oh my god, this kid! Like he just one thing after another. Maybe, maybe he's sick. Well, guys, leave him alone. Whatever. Give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I always say, <laughs> we're leaving on the bus. We're leaving for a bus trip, six day bus trip, and we we start going down the main street, Broadway, down there in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And no joke, his car stood out like a sore thumb. He had this like brown Bronco, and then we see this brown Bronco, and we're like, is that is that da da da? And we're like, no, there's no possible way. Get we the look, flu. We look in the car. He's with like four of his buddies, and no. they're hauling it back to Minnesota. I guess the party or whatever. So anyway, long story short, he got into some <laughs> big, deep, big, deep trouble. Where I don't even think we we resigned him the following year. But that was probably the closest where a guy a guy <laughs> took yeah. the option on a game where we were like, huh? Look, we've we've learned from history. Don't get into a car chase in a Bronco. It's, no. ne- it's never going to work out. Good point. It's never going to work ones. out. Yeah. I had a Bronco. Did you? In high school. A white and teal one. You had a white it Bronco? Was freaking awesome. This was post-OJ, wasn't this it? This was post-OJ. Did you yeah. feel like a BA, though, with Dude, your Bronco? it was so nice. I love Broncos. You're seeing a lot of the old ones around town. Don't, haven't you seen the, the white Broncos are making a comeback? Are they really? And then the one car dealership made the mistake of making an OJ Simpson reference? No way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. No, but they're the old Broncos with the tops down, mm-hmm. like classic 80s Broncos. Oh, yeah. They go, they're pretty penny. Right. Tyson Nash in Arizona, former blue, he's got a really He just nice got one. pulled over. Did you see him Did post he? about it? No. He posted about it going to his game, uh, I guess it was last night or two nights ago, and he posted a picture of him with his rearview window and then a police officer behind it, and he said, not the way I wanted to start my game day. No way. Oh. Well, you know, it's funny because you see him on, on TVs, TV games, and he obviously does the play by the color between the benches for Arizona Coyotes. And his hair is like it is flow flowerific. It, it's because he drives to the game with his. T- he has his old Bronco, and he just lets it flow he in the wind. He just flows. He doesn't care. Oh my god! You talk about personalities. Paul Bissonette and Tyson Nash on their broadcast. Oh my god! Those two absolutely just destroy me. I mean, oh yeah. absolutely kill me. Uh, two of the two of the best in the game. Yeah. yeah. As far as energy, youth goes, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Well, see. I got sidetracked there, of course, talking Bronco, but I did want to ask you and follow up with what Brady was talking about, Joe. Uh, the Matthew Kachuk hit. I, I, we both have our opinions on this, and I'll voice mine. I, I didn't think it was a nasty hit at all. I think Matthew Kachuk was going into the boards, and I think a lot of crazy stuff happens in hockey when you're going that fast-paced. For Paul Maurice to go into a post game 
and make the statement that Matthew Kachuk was going after Mark Shifley to try and end his hockey career, essentially, that's just that's unnecessary in my eyes. And look, Paul Maurice is a very educated man in terms of hockey, hockey mind. He's one of the best when it comes to head coaches. But for him to say that, and I know Matthew already kind of has his narrative in the NHL, but that just that felt like it was really enough. And you could hear Brady get fired up about it also. Well, you know, I think a couple things about that hit. Um, first and foremost, you know, we have a habit, I think, of looking at questionable hits in slow motion from 15 different angles. Yeah. The problem for me with this hit, Alex, and we didn't really talk about this too much with Brady, but the problem with the hit is that in slow motion from that blue line angle, it does look a little iffy. A mm-hmm. little bit. Not much. But when you slow it down, maybe you can make the argument. But if you watch that hit over and over at live live pace, live yeah. speed, real time, there's no question that, that that is just a hockey play. You know, you can't have any forethought. Yeah. Like Brady was saying, oh, if he turns, I'm going to lift up my skate and try to cut him on the calf. Yeah. Like, there's there's no there's no malice there. there. There's nothing like that. Brady even, of course, goes up to him after and, and apologizes. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, it is just simply a, a slow motion replay that people keep seeing over and over where it looks bad, but it's not. Paul Maurice, you know, didn't play in the league. and But I think that he's smart enough to understand what he's doing. Yeah. And I actually think he's doing it the right way. So I'm going to kind of play double-edged sword here, where as long, I don't believe that it was a dirty hit by any means. But what Paul Maurice is trying to do, you just lost your captain. You just lost your best goal scorer, and Patrick Laine as well, that game. you got to rally your troops. You have to defend your captain, and you have to make this a rallying cry. Mm-hmm. To me, this is what he's doing. And I think he is smart enough where he understands the game he understands the politics, and he understands his group in the room. And he goes out there, he defends his captain, and he's going to rally and defend his players. And now his players are like, let's go. And what happened in game two? You see Nikolai Ehlers going after Matthew Kachuk. Everyone was going after Matthew yeah. Kachuk. And you know what? The Winnipeg Jets pumped the Calgary Flames. Yeah. Close game in the scoreboard, but from a physical standpoint, I never thought for a second Winnipeg was going to lose that game. I agree. So Paul Maurice, again, why I don't agree with his comments – I think he'd be the first to say, yeah, he probably didn't do that. But, again, the message I'm going to send is this, for this reason, to climb back into the series. And I'm telling you right now, they have climbed back into the series. I, I I feel so bad for Matthew, and I'm not saying this from a St. Louis perspective. I'm saying this from a from a, from a a human perspective. Like, as, as Matthew Kachuk, you want to play the game hard. You know, you're you're trying to, to, to mimic what your dad did in the NHL. I'm not saying you're trying to be your dad, but you're that power forward. You're trying to get under player's skin. You got that style to your game. But then now you're, you kind of put your – and I know he does a lot of this to himself by, you know, going after Drew Doughty and Zach Cassian. Yeah. But, but to, to be labeled that as an NHL and young in the NHL career – that's not an easy thing to let sit because, like, I mean, you said it. Matthew went and he skated over to Shifley after, and he's like, like, hey, man. Like, you could tell in his eyes that he was genuinely concerned for him. But to be labeled that, that can't be an easy thing as an NHL player. Well, I don't think it's warranted at all. I think that Matthew plays a hard game, but I think he plays an honest game. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a difference between playing hard and playing dirty and playing hard and playing honest. And Matthew plays hard and he plays honest. He's got integrity with every move he makes. He's got um, the trust of his team. He's got the trust of just having a great upbringing about knowing exactly how to play the game right on that edge without ever stepping over. 
Um, look, the Zach Cassian incidents last year, all yeah. clean hits. He yep. wasn't suspended. Um, he was playing hard, right? I mean, every every situation he's been into, Drew Doughty, playing hard. Clean play. He had to stick up for himself, but he's, he's playing hard. Yeah. Counter hits. Players hate counter hits. What are counter hits? Brady has the puck. And instead of him getting hit, he will actually, instead of being absor- absorbing a hit, he will actually step into the defender. And, then, and, and it catches players completely off guard. TJ Oshie used to do it all the time. TJ Oshie does it probably better than anyone in the yep. game. Where you're like, he's got the puck, and all, you think all he's worried about is the puck, I'm going to hit him. And you go and you just feel the shoulder, and you're not ready for it. And it, like, stuns you. Yeah. And guys hate it. Drew Doughty hated it. That was the whole thing. He didn't feel like uh, he was going to get hit, and he got popped hard, <laughs> right? And a little, little high, maybe. But... <laughs> But Matthew does that. That counter hit disturbs people. That players hate it. It's not dirty. Mm-hmm. It's honest. It's clean. And he plays the game hard. I, I applaud my kids. If if my kids get into hockey and stay into hockey, I'm saying watch number seven there. Or yeah. is he number nineteen. He's number Tom, nineteen. Watch number nineteen in, in that orange, ugly orange uniform. But watch ugly. him play. Ugly. That, orange. That's how you play the game of hockey. Ugly orange. You got to keep ugly. your kids focused on the ice, though, right? Yeah, we got we got work on the crossovers. We're, we're we're on crossovers right now. We're not even getting ahead of that. That's good. <laughs> Little by little, right? Little by little, baby steps. <laughs> That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to bring back a classic. Time for What's Up With That. Oh, Joe, that's right, it? baby. We're getting into oh, it. Man. I got some good ones, too. We're going to hit on that as we wrap up this week in hockey next on 101 ESPN. That's right. It's time for What's Up With That. Joe Vitale's favorite segment here on This Week in Hockey. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just trying to pump my own tires. But we're going to have some fun with it. The random stuff that happens in the NHL, even more random now because we're living bubble life. Joe, let me hit you with a couple of these. First things first, the 50-50 raffles. Mm -hmm. We know those from hockey games, right? Well, they're still doing them. Oh, no They are still doing them (laughs) with nobody in the stands. They're doing them virtually 50-50. Guess how much Edmonton raked in last game last night? Ugh. 30 grand. Three million dollars. No way. Three freaking million dollars. <laughs> so my I, the, the part that goes through my brain is I'm a hockey fan. I'm watching the game. We're in a pandemic, right? Some people aren't working, trying to make ends meet. You know what I am going to do? I'm going to see if I can win myself half of a pot of $3 million and put money into it. Unbelievable. I cannot believe it went the high. You know, it was funny in the, one of the Edmonton games, too. I don't know if you saw this during our game. The announcer puts on the Jumbotron. The total attendance for tonight's game is zero. <laughs> Thank you for coming. And we're like, why would you put that? Like, it had, I mean, obviously it's a joke, but like, why even go? I was so confused. I mean, the players just be like, what is happening? <laughs> Can I wake up from this stupid dream? I, mean, I loved it so much when they put that zero up on the board for attendance. <laughs> Big fat white zero. Today's attendance is zero. That's bubble life for you. Unbelievable. All right, so another one. So we all know the the Toronto and Boston rivalry is a real thing. Yeah. Like these two teams hate each other. Bieber will say it, yeah. Bieber will say it for sure. Well, they hate each other so much that John Taveras interrupted a Boston Bruins pregame skate. So, you know how the guys are lined up in the hallway going onto the ice? You know, yeah. they're, they're bumping into each other. They're sh- Picture basically when the doors open and p- fans see the Blues players lined up going out there before puck drop. That's what Boston was doing. Well, while Boston's doing that, John Taveras in his game day suit, because he's playing after these guys, walks through their little ritual in the middle of a hallway and just interrupts all of them and shoves one of the players aside. Love it. Love it. I think the hockey could use more of that. I mean, that's the players are, are dealing with this. They're they're crossing paths. I thought about this the other day. You know, Blake Wheeler and Matthew Kachuk fight. Matthew Kachuk, think about this, fights Wheeler, 
him and Nikolai Ehlers all over each other. Yep. Uh, DeMello, the defenseman, were getting into it. I mean, he, he has just enemies on Winnipeg. He's staying in the same hotel as the Winnipeg <laughs> Jets in Edmonton. Right. Like, he is crossing paths with these guys all the time, especially in the in the games because, because of the factor in the series together. They're probably going to be eating dinner around the same time. They're going to be in and out of the restaurants at the same time. They're going to be crossing paths in the lobby, the coffee house. I mean, everything. Like, imagine Matthew Kachuk today probably going to get a coffee at Starbucks or wherever this morning or Krispy yep. Kreme or wherever they do up there. Jim, Timmy Hortons, that's what it Timmy is. Timmy Hortons, yep. He, he got Blake Wheeler in line, too. Like, how uncomfortably awkward is yeah. that? Are you worried about getting a freaking cross to your face? Unbelievable. Would that have happened in the 90s and early 2000s? As far as play- as far as being able to be in the same hotel as another opponent, very rarely does it happen. It only happens when you go to a you're in the middle of a long road trip, and let's take for example the Blues go to Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa. They do the Eastern Canadian swing. You go to Montreal on Monday, and then your next game isn't until Thursday against Toronto. Okay, so you have three days in between. You fly to Toronto for that second game. It's not going to happen for three more nights. But meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Penguins are there. And they're playing the Toronto on Wednesday when you have them on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll be in the same hotel as some of these teams, but very rarely does it ever happen. Yeah. Okay. A couple more for you, Joey V. Um, game day outfits. We talked a little bit about this um, with Brady Kachuk, I believe, or maybe it was with Mike Kelly yeah. earlier tonight about the uh, the uh, the vest V ups uh, zip ups that the Blues coaches are wearing. Have you seen some of these game day clothes, though? Dude. Some of these players. I forgot who it was, but it was on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He walked in with the, with the tight legging sweatpants, just a, a white polo, short sleeve polo, untucked, and he had this fedora that was, like, tie-dyed <laughs> with his mask on. Like, it was the most unhockey thing I think I've seen in a long time, but that's life these days. There's been some good ones, man. There's been some really good ones. I've I've really enjoyed um, Austin Matthews' style. He's got these like teddy With bear shirts. With his little painter mustache that he's, he's got. He's got a painter mustache. He's got like an old sailor hat he wears like that you should have like fishing lures attached to at some point, <laughs> but uh, he's got like high tube socks. Another one who is good is David Posternock. Yep. He's got the glasses. With what, what is the string called when you attach the string to the, the glass hooks and then around your neck? Uh, I call that the grandma bracelet. The grandma, it's like a grandma it's necklace. It's like the grandma stuff. He's got his glasses hanging down by his chest. Get the hell out of here. I, I didn't God. see that. They're, they're hung up on the string around his neck, and I guess they're like reading glasses or something. He's wearing these things. So when he's sitting in the locker room and he busts out the line, he's like, oh, let me see. Pull my glasses up and see what the lineup is. It's like that. It's like he's doing the USA Today crossword puzzle. I need some help on, you know, six six down or 18 across. <laughs> Always got to make sure you don't um, misplace your glasses on game days. Kids these days. Kids these What's days. What's up with that? Freaking millennials, right? What's up with that? Freaking millennials. Okay, one more for you. Uh, John Tortorella always gives great uh, press conferences after the games. Uh, he gave a phenomenal one the other day. It was after the exhibition game for Columbus. First game back on the ice, everyone there. One of the reporters asked the question, but before he asked the question, Tortorella, like literally the the the, the writer started to ask, and Tortorella cut him off, and he goes, what the blank do you have to ask me after one game back? <laughs> and didn't even laugh about it. I freaking love that guy. He's a good good Italian boy. Hey, when you're Italian, you throw those out there no he, matter what. He says it how it is, man. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a this is a John Tortorella 
style of playoffs. Was he Tampa when you were playing? He was, or was the he New York Rangers. So he was Rangers. I think he was Rangers. Did he yes. ever just chirp the hell out of you when you skated by? Never me. Never me. The players, uh, I think he's calmed down quite a bit. The Has players, he really? Yeah. I think the players really respected him when he was in Tampa because oh, he was yeah. so good. But as soon as you start losing, that, that personality goes out the window and you start losing players quickly. Really? But what he's done in Columbus, I'm telling you right now, from a mental toughness aspect, which is going to be big in this in this playoff, uh, he he his team is a, is the style of team that um, that could go far. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. Going back to our zero attendance thing that we were joking around about, did you see um, when I think it was Edmonton when Edmonton scored that hat trick, or maybe it was Carolina? There was one person from no the stands way. who ran down and threw her hat onto the ring. beautiful. <laughs> It's beautiful, man. I'm telling you, bubble hockey life is the best. They're doing it. I'm, I'm telling you, right now, I applaud. I applaud everyone involved. Yeah. I applaud the players, the coaches, so many personnel, Zamboni drivers, uh, uh, people who are disinfecting benches. I mean, yeah, this has been weird. Yeah, it's been weird, but I'm telling you what, it's been some really great hockey. It has, and, and I'm so glad to be talking about it. I am too. I mean, we're going to see some great hockey Thursday, Joe. Before we get out of here, Vegas Golden Knights, 5:30 puck drop, 4:30 pregame skate. Uh, what's something you're looking forward to in this match? Up from the blues side of it, you know it's going to be the, it's going to be the matchup of who can get to the cycle game quicker. Mm-hmm. Both of these teams, the the system approach is chip it in, get the puck back, cycle it, keep it low, wear your opponent down in their own defensive zone. Vegas does it maybe better than any team in the league. The Blues are right up there with them. Who can get to that quicker? Uh, yeah. I think it's going to be a physical game. I think whenever they play the Vegas Golden Knights, it's physical. When you got Ryan Reeves, players like that, that just bring it to a new level. I think the physicality is going to be there. I think we're going to see that next level here. I think the Vegas Golden Knights, I think they bring out the best in the St. Louis Blues, and I think this is exactly what the doctor ordered. If you remember those those two games that they played against Vegas before the season was was postponed in Vegas, remember that one that, that Vegas stormed back with? I think this was the January one. We were up 4-1, to one, I think. And, and Reeves was in the middle of the – he fronted the net, and he got into it with somebody, and I think he took – maybe it was with Petrangelo. Petrangelo. Took him down to the ice – and Perron was was fired up afterwards. Like he called out Ryan Rees for that ish on the ice. Right. I don't know if you're seeing a rivalry because they're in different divisions and you don't see him as much. But this one, I would imagine, is going to bring out that physical presence for the St. Louis Blues. I think so, man. I mean, Derek England on the back end. Uh, they're just there have been fun games when we play Vegas for yeah. whatever reason. There's something about that matchup. They're, to me, they're a lot like Colorado Avalanche. Those two teams, whenever the Blues face them. You know you're going to get um, a lot of hitting, a lot of goals, a lot of big saves, a lot of just great energy. I think there's amazing personalities on Vegas that really brings out the best in yeah. people. Paul Stasny, the former Blues over there, so guys know him really well. And again, Vegas is just that team of misfits. And I think that even though it's been a few years since they were put together, they still kind of have that that yeah. aura about them. They're a bunch of misfits, and they play that kind of freeing style that's fun to watch and with great personalities and I think they've done nothing but great for the game, and, and I'm looking forward to this. And then you get up. Pete DeBoer behind the bench still, Dude. who of course has all kinds of experience with the St. Louis Gosh, Blues. That was a weird one when they yeah. brought him on board. A lot of question marks, like why would you get rid of Gallant? Like because he was pretty just good. fired from San Jose, and then the next day Vegas fires their coach. I think Gallant was like in second in the West at the yeah. time. And we're like, what is this about? But you know what? Peter DeBoer did a job there. You know what? They've been on a run. They were on third. a run. They were on a run before this pause. Yeah, they they, they were they were tracking. Big time. And yeah. I like the way they looked at Dallas the other night, too. Or not in Dallas, obviously. Well, but versus in Dallas. Edmonton versus Dallas. Same thing, right? In a book. In a book. Joe Vitale, this is fun, buddy. 
This was great, Alex. Right back at it. Dude, this has been a, this has been a lot of fun. It's like riding a bicycle, isn't it? It's like riding a tricycle. You ever ridden a tricycle? I haven't ridden a tricycle. They're tough. What about a unicycle? I've never done that. Maybe we should try one of those. Or a scooter. Have you ever done a pogo stick? No, but I see these guys on these skateboards now with this remote control. You see these guys flying down the road? They're going like 40 miles an hour. With the skateboard? It's an electric skateboard with like a handheld thing. It's like a cell phone. It looks like a cell phone, and they increase the speed with their hands. <laughs> I've never seen this before. Someone, okay, someone is going to die soon with these all these motor sco- scooters that are around the city. Oh, yeah. Like, how is the moped things? Are how are you not wearing a helmet? These guys are they're hitting curbs and like these office people in suits and backpacks, like these tech guys are going down the roads. Like, I'm like, you're going to die. Look, you need to be careful. I don't trust anything remote after watching Mike Tyson eat it on one of those little uh, <laughs> yeah, floating things. I don't trust those bad great boys clip. at all. Great Joe, clip. great show, buddy. Thanks, Al. It's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We will be with you Thursday night, Blues and Golden Knights. 5.30 puck drop, 4.30 pregame, right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN.